Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for week two of our Lenten series, where we're going to be learning about the mighty God. Last week, we learned and we looked at the Prince of Peace. I will say today's work is going to be largely based on a sermon created by Major Jamie Spaulding, uh, who's a DYS in the Carolinas. And I know that, uh, thank you for joining me today. I'm Captain Bradley Hargis, Corps Officer in Hot Springs, Arkansas. This week we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. Our scripture is going to be verses 21 through 43. And I want you to think about today as we get started, what is the first language you ever learned? I know that we have a three-year-old and a six-year-old in the house. And I know one of them is very proficient in talking. Uh, the other one is still learning every day, uh, but just because she can't fully enunciate words, um, she can communicate in all kinds of other ways. Uh, one of the biggest ways that she communicates is actually by touch, which a lot of people consider a language. And I want you to think about that it's the first language you really learn. Uh, doctors talk about uh, after babies are born that usually the mother will immediately have what's called skin-to-skin time. Um, And it's what a lot of people believe truly helps the mother bond with the child. Um, Usually crying babies can be soothed uh, in the middle of the night, literally just by being close to their mother. Touch helps us in a few ways. It helps us form bonds. Uh, It helps us communicate love. It helps reduce stress. And it also builds trust. I want you to think about maybe special moments in your life that Um, touch was involved. Maybe it was just that extra hug that you needed in a really difficult time. Uh, Maybe it was that awesome massage you got after a really long work week. Maybe it was your first kiss. I don't know what it was for you, but I want you to, to think about that moment. Because the reality is this has been a, a tough subject lately, especially in light of COVID, right? That things like handshakes and hugs and close contact um, have kind of been banned. They've kind of been discouraged over the last uh, really year. And so I want you to imagine what would it be like to be someone who had never, ever had close contact with anybody or had ever been physically touched by anybody. No kudos, no pats on the back, no hand to reach out to you on a bad day, no high fives, no hugs of reassurance nothing. Totally ostracized. Someone who would be called in the Bible as unclean. In the Old Testament specifically, they talk about this concept of uncleanness a lot. Talks about it in a lot of places, uh, but especially in the books of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And they really describe for us in great detail what it means to be unclean. This doesn't necessarily mean dirty, doesn't even always mean sinful, but it would be somebody who was deemed ceremonially unclean for many reasons. And here's a few notable ways that somebody could be made unclean. First of all, it could be that they had a skin disease, such as leprosy that's talked about a lot in the Bible. It could be because of bodily fluids or coming into contact with a dead animal or a person. It could be from consuming unclean food or even coming into contact with another unclean person or maybe somebody else with something like leprosy. But if you were an unclean person, you could be become 
clean again by waiting a determined set of time after the event that made you unclean. And then after participating in a series of rituals to purify yourself, you could be deemed clean by the high priest. Until then, though, everything you touched, your clothes, where you sat, uh, even other people you came into contact with, everything became unclean and had to be purified. And there were all kinds of reasons for God to give people these laws when they did. First of all, they were practical. They kept people healthy and hygienic. I mean, they didn't have medication like we do nowadays. Um, It guarded them against infectious diseases. But it also taught them about purity and holiness, uh, which they prepared for in the coming Messiah that would one day cleanse their nation, their, their whole self. And if you were unclean, you did a few things to remain that way so that you wouldn't infect anyone else. You did things like stay away from other people. You weren't permitted to be intimate with anybody, even your spouse. You weren't allowed to participate in feasts and celebrations or eat any kind of food with anybody in those events. And maybe most importantly, you were not allowed in the temple at all. For most people, the period of uncleanliness would have been temporary. Could have been a day, a week, a couple of months, uh, maybe even after the birth of a baby. But soon enough, you were able to wash, make sacrifices, and rejoin society. This wasn't, however, the case for some people. For some, this mark of uncleanliness became a label of less than, and it stuck with them sometimes for life. Sometimes in Scripture, there are these whole colonies, leper communities, where people or ostracized, and they're never having the opportunity to come back in. And that's what brings us to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. It says this starting in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him when he was at the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large cloud followed and pressed around him, and the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had, yet instead she grew worse day by day. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothing? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother this teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. 
When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the father's clothes and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and sat to her and said, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around, for she was twelve years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. It's interesting that Mark shares these two stories about Jairus and this this girl who dies, and they offer some interesting moments in here. I think the first we can start with is in the beginning of the story, Jesus is on a shore. He's, he's climbing out of a boat, and people are gathering around him. And this is where we meet our first character, Jairus. First of all, he's prominent. He's a synagogue leader. But he bows down in respect before Jesus and then pleads his case for his daughter. The reality is she's sick and she's dying. And Jairus needs Jesus to come and heal her. And Jesus starts walking with Jairus. And then we kind of shift gears here to a woman who had been bleeding. And she was not viewed as someone on the same level as Jairus. She was not a prominent synagogue leader. First of all, she was a woman. She was also unclean. And according to Mosaic law, her medical condition meant that she lost the right to touch anybody. She really shouldn't be in the crowd of people because she might accidentally make others unclean. So Mark tells us also that she was poor. Verse 26 says, She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. In all of her attempts to get better, she was bankrupt and more ill and sicker than ever. So no, she wasn't going to stand in front of Jesus and plead her case. But maybe when he walked by, if she could just reach out, if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she thought she could be healed. It's also interesting to note that she had been suffering with this bleeding condition for over 12 long years. We are not told what happened to Jarius' daughter, if she was injured or if she was sick, or if she had a lifelong illness or something that maybe had just come upon her. All we're told is that she was 12 years old. Her whole life equaled the length of the woman's illness, the bleeding of 12 years. And the account of Jairus and his daughter, if we're honest, is very moving. Because he was pleading for Jesus to come and work a miracle in his child's life because the father loved her. And he had dreams for her. And it went well beyond her 12th birthday. It went well beyond her 13th or even maybe her 20th birthday. He wanted to see her grow into the woman that God had created her to be. I mean, he definitely wanted this. He was the synagogue leader. And if you're a parent, you understand this pleading, this begging that God is going to be active in the life of your children. Maybe your child, whether uh, a kid still in your home or even an adult child. Uh, If they're dealing with sickness or something else, you you want them to get better. Uh, Maybe it's something more serious, something like uh, drug addiction or something else. You really want to see your, your children be made whole, 
to be made well. And this is where this pleading of the father comes in. Because the reality is the father, Jairus, had more planned for his daughter. And we also see in the story that Jesus has more planned for her as well. Because you always want what's better for your children. It's as if you're saying, please God, come and fix this. But interesting in this story, the friends deliver the news that Jesus is too late and the girl has died. Jesus, knowing that death would not get the final word, says, don't worry about it, just believe. Jesus also goes in not even thinking about that she's dead or that her body's unclean and that the law actually states at that time that he cannot touch her. So he reaches for her hand and says, little girl, get up. And she does. And Jesus actually says, hey, get the girl a snack and everybody throws a party. But think about this. But what happens to those who don't have a father to fight for them, to plead for them, or to believe in big dreams for them? Those who suffer alone for years, those who are dismissed, avoided, or even feared in society, where is their miracle? Where is God for those people? Let's transition back for this the sick woman for a moment. She's an outcast. She's alone. She's been in pain for 12 long years. How long would it take you to give up hope and accept that this is your lot in life? Would it be two years, five years, or even 10 years? And yet here she was, full of hope, so determined to overcome what was going on in her life, so absolutely sure of who Jesus was that she believed that all she had to do was touch his clothing and that would end her suffering of 12 years. When the woman touched his cloak, scripture tells us that she immediately was healed. Jesus felt the power leave his body and he turned around and said, who touched me? Jesus asked this directly because there were many people in the crowd touching him in the crowd and he didn't know who had done it. The woman eventually came forward, and we see that she has a few responses. First of all, she's afraid. So she's trembling. Second of all, though, is interesting. She fell directly at his feet. And lastly, she confessed to what she had done. Then Jesus spoke to this woman, this poor, unclean woman who didn't have anybody to speak up for her. And what does he call her? Does he call her unclean, unwanted? He says, daughter, nowhere else in the gospel does Jesus address anyone else with this title. So we really see here two miracles in one scripture for two very different people in very different life situations. And Jesus calls her daughter as if reminding her about how Jairus felt about his girl. And in the same desperation, the same agony, We know how our eternal God longs for us, about how the Almighty feels about us. Because in this story, we see how powerful Jesus is. He's so powerful and so mighty that his very presence brings healing. Mark 6, 56 says, And wherever they went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So I encourage you today, in the midst of brokenness, 
busyness, uncertainty, struggle. Could you this week put your faith in the same mighty God that we read about in the story, the God who heals 12-year-old girls, the God who heals unclean people and calls them daughter? Would you consider that this week? I know as we continue our Lenten journey of our 40 days before uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday, um, I pray that um, you're able to find encouragement in this, that wherever you are in life, whether you're uh, in a place uh, like the daughter of Jarius, in a place of prestige and honor, or if you're in a place maybe of the woman, uh, maybe you feel a little bit outcast, maybe you feel a little bit unloved and unwanted, that God still actively pursues both miracles. He's there in both situations and he's active. And the reality is he's active in my story and he's active in yours. And so reach out to him this week and see how you can serve the mighty God. Thank you for joining us for week two of our podcast. If you have any prayer concerns or any comments, feel free to leave those in the comment section. And again, thank you for joining us for Above the Waves where we will be spending the next several weeks continuing on our Lent journey as we look towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Thank you so much. Take care and God bless.